This is the Right Way Podcast. Right Way Podcast. The 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 Right Way Podcast. Hey, I'm Victoria Brookman. I'm here with Samuel Elliott discussing my debut novel, Burnt Out, on the Right Way Podcast. Yeah, Victoria Brookman, thank you so much for introducing this episode of tonight's show, today's show, whatever day, time you're listening to this show on. This is, of course, the Right Way Podcast program with me, your host, Samuel Elliott, and the person you just heard introducing this episode is, of course, today's guest, Victoria Brookman. Victoria Brookman and I discussed her debut novel, Burnt Out. So, Burnt Out centers around Caledon Lines, uh, who is living in the Blue Mountains, much like uh, Victoria does as well, where she has been a writer and researcher uh, and had her work appeared in various different sort of prestigious publications. Uh, but Burnt Out is her debut novel and yes, just got sidetracked but by it being the geographic location in which Victoria lives and, and works and writes as well as the uh, centre of the location, albeit where the character, fictional character, the central character for Burnt Out, Calder Lyons, lives and unfortunately it opens with her losing it all as it were during an unprecedented bushfire season and then she uh, when she is distraught out the front of her wreck of her home uh, the awaiting media sort of latch onto her and then uh, much like all sort of uh, watershed moments motivational moments that can happen or genius strikes uh, when someone has lost everything sort of um, taps into the inner turmoil in which people much uh, even though it's a work of fiction can be inspired by real life events in that sort of regard of people that have lost everything uh, Callie speaks to the media and kind of launches into this monologue uh, which ends with fucking do something I believe is the term that she then coins and then very very quickly finds herself as this sort of face of this movement albeit an influencer and the author of the fucking do something hashtag uh, so what arises from that is that Callie uh, then somewhat claims that she her second book that she's been kind of um struggling to produce and then kind of having her publisher threaten her was lost in the flames as well. So Baron setting off a chain of events uh, which is kind of lie upon lie uh, which I guess is pretty understandable because once you start lying uh, you've got to keep lying and then that can build up all kinds of uh, lies each more outlandish and unbelievable than the last uh, but for Kelly that then kind of uh, brings her into the invitation for this uh, to stay at a boat shed at this mansion of this handsome stranger who was kind of uh, moved by her cause and her plight. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's kind of the beginnings of the, the novel there, or the synopsis, and then kind of uh, you can imagine where it goes from there. Perhaps you can't, and that's when uh, sort of uh, disaster and sort of uh, much turmoil arises. Um, so yeah, that is Burnt Out, uh, and it was an absolute pleasure to talk to Victoria as she's introduced herself there. So without giving any more away or discussing any deeper than that, I'd like you all to give a big digital round of applause to today's guest, Victoria Brookman discussing with me her debut novel, Burnt Out. Victoria Brookman, thank you so much for joining me on the Right Way podcast program this evening. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. What I like to hear, you told me before you were listening to one of my other episodes, which is always brings joy to my heart, but it also yeah. means doubly that you know how it goes. And I always like to ask where the origins for a story such as Burnt Out originated from. And I wondered if it was something to do, you mentioned the acknowledgements about the Black Summer bushfires, the people who were affected mm -hmm. in 2019, 2020. So give us yeah. a, tell us about a bit about that, Victoria, what was going on? Yeah. So we, uh, we were deep in the Black Summer, just um, kind of at the start of it. I think it's hard, so long ago and there's been mm. so many other traumas that have been 
on top of that, that I, um, you know, I'm trying to get my dates right. But I think it was just before that. It was about in November 2019. I had given up completely just like buried this novel that I had been working on for five years. And so I was going through like a, an intense mourning period from that, but also still going like, why, what do I need to do to fix it and make it publishable? I just don't know. And um, it's, it's hard to get them out of your mind, right? Like, mm. oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they sit in there. That one's still, I still don't know what to do with it. But, um, I, and then the Black Summer got worse and worse. That big smoke plume over in the Wollamai um, National Park just came closer and closer to the Blue Mountains where I live. And um, there were fires coming in from the west as well and from the south. And, uh, you know, people up here have, have who've lived here for longer than I have have been through other bushfire seasons. This was my first big one. Mm. Um and so my next door neighbour who grew up here, we were standing there chatting over the fence one day and she and her husband would give me so much great information about like, you know, what to do if a fire comes and like where the fires are, um, stuff like that. And we were standing there one day just like it was probably about a month in and we were like, oh, just wish the fire would come already. We are so sick of waiting. It was Christmas holidays. My kids were stuck inside in the air conditioning watching Netflix all holidays. And, you know, I'm lucky we had Netflix and air conditioning, (laughs) but we were just absolutely going, like we had full-on cabin fever (laughs) and you couldn't go outside because the air was smoky. There were dust storms rolling in at random as well. We had... Um, sick and sad wildlife perching on the back deck in the heat waves. Mm. And um, so it was a real, like, just get it over with. We're mm. sick of it already. <laughs> like, just waiting for months for a fire to come closer and closer to the place you love and seeing the damage as the birds fly in with their singed feathers is horrible. <laughs> mm. and, um, and then one day I was taking a shower and um, I like to say it was definitely within the water restrictions policy. <laughs> definitely less than 40 seconds or whatever they wanted us to, to take showers for. But I was, I needed that thinking time, you know, and I was standing there and I was like still thinking about that old book and I thought, you know what, like what would happen if a fire did come and just mm. burnt all my notes for that book? Could that be good in some way? Because, like, it's like a millstone around my neck, you know. Mm. I've been working on it for five years. It's bloody taken up residence in my head. I don't know what to do with it. If a fire came and burnt all my notes and all my drafts where I'd been, you know, intensively editing it, trying to figure it out, what would happen then? Could I start fresh? And I followed this thought and I actually gave that novel idea to my main character, Callie. Mm. And... um I, I, so I, I started writing this book um, when I was actually evacuated. Um, I was standing down in Penrith Westfield outside Big W and I had this idea for what would be some of the opening lines in the book, which was um, about cleaning the toilet with the lavender-scented detergent and that being like a pre-evacuation ritual, which was <laughs> something we did because, you know, you don't want to come home to a, like, you know, your house hasn't burnt down, but your toilet's disgusting, right? Mm. So <laughs> I started writing that when we were evacuated. We had all our stuff in the back of the car. And um, and then as the summer drew to a close, we had smoke plumes at the bottom of our street. I started actually writing the book for real. And um, it was just this wonderful, cathartic experience of putting all the trauma and all the experience of actually being here um, in that summer 
onto a page and, and giving it to someone else, you know? I'm so interested to hear that that was the genesis, was the what happens for your notes were kind of lost in the fastest what happens with Callie. Because I wondered um, if it was, you know, sometimes some people are in, in intrigued by either a premise or a thought or a question. I actually was wondering, because I think the opening lines are about what to, to what to keep and what to let burn, like an antique yeah. writing desk and all that sort of stuff. And I wondered if that actually was what sort of propelled your imagination there a little bit. But That was just the summer. That was, mm. um, that's just part of living in a really bushfire prone area is that mm. you get what you can into the boot. And for me, that was, um, you know, our changes of clothes for me and my partner and the kids. And we didn't have our dog then, so we didn't, we didn't have to worry about his stuff. But, um, and uh, like rare books, mm. um, you know, my partner's grandpa was an author and we've got some of his books that are out of print now. So, you know, put them in the boot, yeah. um, put our theses in the boot from uni, um, put, um, yeah, and then all my notebooks, mm. things I'd been working on that I'd never kind of resolved because I couldn't let go of that mental baggage. <laughs> Um, but yeah, looking looking around the rest of the house, it was like that can burn, that can burn, that can burn, all these books can burn, um, you know, this bed can burn. And you just take, we would take photos and we would have them ready for insurance purposes if the house burnt down. And that's the way you do it. So there's all this preparation you can do. So it's kind of like a there's a contrast of what you could prepare for, albeit within the context of burnt out, what Callie could prepare for. And then there was the completely unpredictable, couldn't possibly predict what happens with fronting the media and becoming sort of this voice of the righteously incensed uh, people that are kind of experiencing these unprecedented bushfires and then sort of going after big money and, and politicians and all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't, isn't that such a contrast? Is that something that you kind of thought about at the same time, Victoria, or did that just sort of happen beautifully and organically? That was definitely something that was on my mind during that summer. Um, mm. I, As I mentioned, we were stuck inside in our air conditioning for mm. that whole summer holidays. We couldn't go down the south coast where, you know, we might have gone a few years before because that was a light. And we couldn't escape somewhere up the north coast if we could afford it because that was a light. And, um, and, you know, even going down into Sydney and staying at my mum's house and our parents-in-law's house, my parents-in-law's house, when, um, when we did evacuate, that was smoky outside as well. Everything mm. was smoky. Um, you couldn't breathe the air. And then at the same time, I knew that there were people who decided climate change policy or any, you know, all kinds of things that were contributing factors to this horrible natural disaster that was occurring around us they were sitting in air-conditioned office blocks all day mm. and they were just having a normal life, sitting there at their computer, typing away. And it just made me think, like, well, <laughs> why do we all have, you know, why do all of us have to suffer and you just sit there, you don't have to worry about the heat, you don't have to worry about the air because you're just in this climate-controlled environment the entire time <laughs> deciding all of our futures. <laughs> and, you know, likewise, like, the rich people, you know, particularly billionaires, but, you know, the ultra-rich could just fuck off out of here. They could just get on their jets and fly out. They could get on their super yachts and sail out. They could go wherever they wanted in the world. And people who don't have that kind of, you know, that level of resources on, on tap could not. Very true. Before I want to delve more into um, Kelly becoming kind of the face of a movement and the author of a hashtag, 
want to talk a little bit about her mindset because it resonated with me and I'm sure a lot of writers would definitely resonate with her and sort of uh, where we meet her with having a very successful sort of first novel and then the dreaded second novel. And I'm, I really want to hear from you, Victoria, about that because obviously I think it was called Toast. Toast was hugely successful, you know, got snapped up. And then the struggle thereafter. What sort of intrigued you about this sort of uh, funk that uh, I'd say almost all sort of uh, prolific writers that sort of produce more than one novel kind of face and what was that you wanted to capture for the reader? Um, I think I, I really liked, I mean, first of all, it was obviously my own experience with not just not being able to get this book to work. Um, mm. And it, I hadn't been published before. I'd been trying for, you know, eight years by this stage. Um, trying my little heart out, but I, oh, it was my so, second so, novel. So, you know, you know. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Oh, oh I know. Right, oh, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Um, <laughs> no, you, you, you feel, you feel that one. Don't oh, you? I do really. Yeah, absolutely. So this was my the the cult the family Johnny occult novel as it is referred to in the in Burnt Out mm. was my second novel that I had written full novel and could not get published mm. and um and but I, you know I, I like this idea of I think a lot of us feel a lot of the time especially creatives feel like we're massive frauds yep. and and you know we wonder if we can do it again. You know, um, you get one book published and it goes well and then everyone's like, what's next, what's next? And you're like, well, I've moved on as a person. I've had additional experiences. Are you going to like it? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to capture that kind of mental paralysis of that deep pressure. Um, And, you know, I think it's a fairly well-documented thing, second book syndrome, people talk about it a lot, the pressure to produce something after the first one's done well or you know just anyone's who enjoyed the first one you're like well I hope you enjoy my next one um because no two no two books are the same you know they're all going to be different they're all a reflection of the artist's soul at a different point in their life and um yeah I I, I just I found that kind of deep conflict and <laughs> emotional kind of dragging was um it was a really fun thing to explore for Kelly. I'm glad you did. And I think it was it was definitely the best sort of mind frame or mindset in the worst possible way for her, obviously, but not for the reader in terms of experiencing it, because then it set up these sort of stakes where she's increasingly, as you mentioned, pressurized with that and desperate. Uh, and then again, it kind of there was two sort of standout elements for, for me with Burnt Out was that of preparation and what we sort of prepare for or think we're preparing for and that which kind of happens beyond sort of our kind of control and then that can be you know serendipitous it could be a really good thing it could be devastating i.e breakups all that sort of stuff destruction um with that so with the mentality of that and kind of likening to again this sort of can't possibly predict that this would happen and is becoming yeah the the author of the or quipping the line fucking do something which was you know this sort of um uh, it was more the passion rather than I think the sentiment that was that was what kind of Kelly kind of put forth into, but then obviously it just became this runaway success and enabled all these sort of opportunities, which also kind of were double-edged sword. What do you think is the perils and the powers of becoming an overnight sort of sensation like that, Victoria? Because it's obviously something that really captured your attention and yeah. imagination. Yeah, and I, I'm I find it really intellectually interesting um and it's obviously uh, like you know from a human point of view but also from an industry manipulative point of view mm. you see so many industries are like wow great well you know you're so interesting be our figurehead and we'll put you in the paper like <laughs> non-stop mm. for like a month 
and then you're done. Yeah. Or, you know, come on Q&A and be the voice of so-and-so and blah, blah. And, you know, you have these people kind of thrust into the limelight and they're often like super ex- experienced and knowledgeable about certain things. But um, I liked this idea that she was just really passionate about it and she'd had enough. Mm. And that, that struck a raw nerve because I know that for a lot of us around here, we were just like, how much longer is this going to go on for? And then, you know, we saw the floods that put out the fires. And then after that, we've had, what, another two years of flooding? Mm. <laughs> it's crazy. It is crazy. It really is. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, so, yeah, I, I guess with the that kind of viral superstar, um, I'm interested in in it from a number of levels. I really do think that um, it's to the detriment of society at the moment, mm-hmm. not to try and be on a soapbox, but, um, you know, that people, for example, on TikTok are always, you know, musicians are told that they have to get their song to go viral on TikTok to make it a, su- a success. And they're people who have spent years, sometimes decades, honing their craft and live these good creative lives where they try to balance commercial needs with creative needs and put remarkable things together. And then the record company is like, cool, so how are we making it go viral? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I feel like there's a bit of that pressure for authors as well. It's like, okay, are you on TikTok? Are you on Instagram? Um, how active are you on there? Um, you know, like I did have someone who <laughs> I won't name because they're very lovely, but someone at one point was like, look, I'm not sure that you should post pictures of your book so much. And it was like literally my release week. And they were like, you're just going a bit overboard, putting up pictures of your book. And I'm like, it's my debut novel. <laughs> Can you not? That's uh, beyond me. Uh, that's, that's... I know. It was like, yeah. look, I think it's okay to... Uh, to put up pictures of your debut novel when it's just been released. It was like the day after. Hey, but, me too. you know, I think people are um, quite jumpy in a yep. lot of industries, especially creative industries, to try and capitalise on virality. They want mm. their creatives to go viral and they want that to bring in the cash. And it's not, you know, I think we've seen with BookTok that the things that have gone viral on BookTok are not because the authors have sat there making TikToks about their books. Yep. And they're not because they're like, hey, 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 listen to this, read this, read this. It just doesn't work like that. Um, you know, it, it like the books that have gone viral are often years old. <laughs> the yeah. one that was eight years old and this the lady's Colleen like, oh, Hoover. that's on my back. Yeah, the yeah. Colleen Hoover one, exactly. There was another one I can't remember if it was by, but she was like, that was my like way back backlist and my last book had not gone well at all and like <laughs> I was really surprised but really happy for it. But there are things that you can't really predict and I think that's a bit like the, you know, general chaos of humanity. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> for me, I'm just always intrigued and I mean you did mention there as well about the pressure, but like, yeah, to capture one's attention and particularly if you're well-spoken, you're an intellectual and you're kind of fluent in your subject but I guess just being thrust into this sort of catapulted into this sort of limelight like that and yeah being invited on to to Q&A and you know but presume, presumably getting FaceTime with ministers and stuff like that that again presumably presumably can make actual prompt serious actual societal change mm. just be overwhelming and kind of to the detriment you mentioned detriment of society I think the detriment of the individual yeah. as well that could definitely happen and I think for creatives to the detriment of the art I know I certainly felt the pressure to sit there making reels of 
you know, bushwalking when I just love bushwalking and mm. <laughs> I just want to do it for myself and my own mental health. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, this could, I could put this on my Instagram and the, you know, 100 people will see it. <laughs> it's, um, it, it kind of eats into your brain. Whereas when I'm off social media, as I am at the moment, I'm thinking up new story ideas left, right and centre. So it's like, a, it's a bit of a trade-off, I think. It's such a trade-off. And in terms of, I mean, somewhat needing it, but also the sapping up the creativity. And yeah, I guess that that's kind of what sort of happens with Cali as well. And I kind of wanted to segue that or dovetail into, so we talked a little bit about, you know, experiencing the dreaded second book sort of imposter syndrome that sort of resulted from that, particularly if the first one's quite well received. Then there's the sort of question of a dilemma that a lot of writers, possibly all, face is the sort of question of whether to be inspired or write the life story of someone else when it comes and it's overwhelming (laughs) and you find it to be the most inspirational thing ever, whether it's, you know, someone down the street, whether it's Lady G, like whoever it could possibly be. And that's, again, something clearly, Victoria, that's that's kind of captured your attention, your imagination within writing Burnt Out. And I want you to talk a little bit about that because that's something that, again, I feel like most writers will feel like they've been seen or that resonates with them greatly because it is such a dilemma that's so common within the writing crafts. Tell me a little bit about that inspiring you. Um, yeah, I liked the idea that it, it kind of made her a bit naughty. It made mm. her a bit of a mongrel. And, and I wanted her to be, you know, I wanted people to be like, what are you doing? <laughs> do that but then at the same time she felt like she had no choice you know she felt like someone else was going to do it if she didn't and she had to do it justice but then she carried that incredible guilt about it Mm. and um to me that was just a really tantalizing idea that people would straight up steal someone else's life story and put it in a book and um and it's interesting as well because when it was going through edits um I think I I had a conversation with one of the editors who was like, look, um, this wouldn't, like, it is, it does just have to not resemble the person basically, like, there's no copyright on story ideas. You can Mm. write whatever story you want. And the thing is, if, if I, you know, if you and I started with a basic, someone's basic life story, we would turn out completely different books, right? Mm -hmm. Because we emphasize different things. Certain things would speak to us. You're never going to give the entire personality of one real person in a book and um and like I've definitely been inspired by people in but like really tiny things I've cherry picked Mm. um, out of people like you know someone riding a bicycle um without a helmet regularly or um yeah just really small things I like to kind of put into one big person so that no one can (laughs) No one can ever be like, that's me, because it's it's really like even if I was like, I'm going to write Sam's life story oh. and, you know, write a thing about this dude who's writing and he's doing a podcast, like <laughs> you'd be like, okay, but that's like, that's not me. Mm. <laughs> but, yeah, it, I, I thought this idea that someone would really brazenly steal somebody else's life story and put it on a page, um, I, I just really fell in love with that idea. I think that it was all, and I mean, like, it, it, first of all, in terms of the cherry picking of stuff, I mean, every writer does that. Show me a writer that says they don't do that and I'll show you a liar because oh. everyone definitely does the cherry pick, the magpie sort of, you got it, you got it, because it shows that you're perceptive, it shows that, you know, you've you've taken note of some idiosyncrasy of someone's character and you said, that's really interesting, you know, that will work. And that kind of, yeah. I don't know how you write, but I feel like that comes up organically when I do write shit and go, okay, yeah. well, you know, this would work or I can see that. So I think that sort of stuff is unavoidable. Stealing a someone's complete life story maybe maybe not so much but I guess the way my kind of takeaway from it was 
it was like this avalanche of lies and it's always and like you see it across a lot of different sort of movies and, and shows and books and it's just one one lie kind of is the genesis and then it's a big one and then from there you've got to kind of keep lying and the lies kind of have to ramp up in order to to keep going and i mean within kelly's sort of journey cause and it's like what we said with being springboarded into celebrity or the limelight there and kind of you know going on these sort of q a type shows and being interviewed by all these people it's it's there's no time to pause and to distance oneself or kind of temper the amount of lies that are coming out and again it gets you know this gordian knot of of lies what do you reckon that's right and she you know she's struggled for years and she's Mm. been living like a hermit in the blue mountains um which i can identify with (laughs) at this stage in my life no i'm I'm kidding uh but yeah she and then suddenly the going's so good like it gets horrible and then it gets so good and it's like everything she has ever like that she could ever have dreamed of for herself living in a boathouse on the edge of sydney harbour yeah with like beach access and a friend who wants to come and hang out and go on coffee dates and and this like hot billionaire who's really interested in her and wants to help her fight for you know um, climate change action and how could you step away from that right how could and like you said she doesn't really have time to pause because she's got the pressure of trying to capitalize on going viral from Mm. her agent and she's like oh shit I just have to keep going and then when she does finally have time to pause a bit and kind of be by herself um she's like shit like it starts to kind of turn the other way she starts going hmm hang on a minute like she just gets a moment to start thinking about all the people in her life and what's going on Mm. and um and I thought that was really important to show as well that kind of mindfulness um it's it's when she's walking around um the palace of Versailles Mm. Um, spoiler Mm. alert no um, and you know that kind of going a bit mad being lost but also kind of understanding some new things that maybe she didn't understand before speaking about things that she didn't sort of understand before and I was going to draw I was I, I just wanted you to finish what you were saying because like when you mentioned Tara it's funny that you mentioned it with the coffee dates I was like the getting on the bickies kind of thing that I was going to bring up and I was like I don't want to maybe maybe I don't know it's a bit inappropriate but yeah getting on the bickies well anyway anyway getting on the bickies but like the main thing, there was another thing that kind of was recurrent throughout. It was sort of exemplified within what was happening with Josh as well as with Arlo. Uh, and it was, yeah, you could you could apply it just to Kelly's love life, but I also think it's more broadly than that. And it's about compromise. Compromise, both of them mentioned compromise at different points. And mm-hmm. compromise applies to relationships or what Kelly perceives that she needs to do with a relationship or might need to do in order to keep it going. And then there's compromise in terms of morals and one's ethics as to if they're willing to kind of compromise those. Tell me a little bit about those two different sort of versions of, of that, Victoria, because I want to hear from you about them. What, what does yeah. one do to compromise? Yeah, well, I, I guess that's kind of about, that goes into that idea of not having time to pause and think about things is that, mm. Those two compromises are just um, extra pressures in her life and um, she is facing a lot of pressures from Josh who she, you know, is quite like a bit ashamed about the way it all ended 
and feeling pretty beat down by it all. And she, you know, she kind of goes into it with an open mind being like, well, you know, you supported me for years. I want to help you too, of course. Like, you know, you've been my best friend. Um, And then, you know, so I think she does try and acquiesce a lot to Mm. what he demands and, um, and, you know, what the agent demands. And then ultimately she finds compromises that she just can't gel with she goes which is the moral compromises you're saying she's mm. like actually no fuck that I'd, mm. I'd rather do this than that like uh once again not wanting to spoil the ending but it's it's such an important moment for her character because I think that a lot of the time women are socialized to um compromise mm. and to be likable and to kind of you know be sociable to people and make people feel comfortable and happy and then sometimes we just have to step back and go fuck that Mm. (laughs) absolutely not and um you know that drawing the line can be confronting for a lot of people but it's a really important part of you know being a human being and especially important for women to learn that and to put that into action Definitely. I think that I was going along with those lines of, I guess, being agreeable and agreeable a lot of the time is being silent, I think, and not, Absolutely. yeah, not, and not complaining in that, in that regard, or just being perceived as being difficult is to be, to be quiet. Um, yeah. But there was one particular line. I don't think it's, I, I hope to God it's not a spoiler. I don't think it's a spoiler, but it's like <laughs> basically towards the tail end of the book. And Kelly talks about how she's done being other people's paychecks yeah. And I really like that because that's that's kind of like to me like embodies agency. Yeah. Like that's like no longer accepting um I don't want to say leech, because like that's like that's not like really a particularly nice way of putting it, but like other people's agendas furthering their yeah. own agenda through your own actions. What do you think about that, Victoria, in terms of that? I think it's really important part. It's a very important part of the publishing industry. Mm. Is um, not not that anyone's a leech <laughs> that I know, but no, um, no, no, I don't mean that. Regard. Sorry, I've got uh, <laughs> my phone pinging in the background. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that it's incredibly um, important for us as creatives to kind of always take stock of what we're doing, who's benefiting and what's what stakes there are. Um, because I know that um, a lot of people when they get on kind of uh, multi-book contracts will suddenly be writing to that contract and writing to what um, people in the industry are trying to second guess about the rest of the industry, if that makes mm, sense. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, I my Burnt Out was a debut novel, even though I'd written two before. Um, it was... A thing that was picked up as it was and um, picked up for its good bones right and there was lots of editing to do and it was a really enjoyable collaborative process um, but I think that sometimes some people can get into a bit of a trap where um, where yeah industry people kind of have that collaborative approach and go well we want you to write this now um, or or that or perhaps you, so that's why I wanted to kind of put those extra pressures in on Callie in the novel, which were, you know, how about you do this next? How about you do that next? And she was like, actually, I just like want time to breathe and figure out what I want to write because it had taken so much for her to be able to write that second book. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, there's <laughs> someone else's entire life had gone into it. But she was like, actually, like, let's pause here and, um, you know, take a deep breath 
because I, you know, I, maybe I don't want to do everything you guys want. Maybe I don't want to keep going viral and being on Q and A all the time and and you know saying what everyone wants me to say so everyone feels good and claps and I get a bottle of champagne at the end. Like maybe maybe that's not a sustainable pathway. Very well put in terms of the sustainable pathway. Absolutely. In terms of taking stock and, and assessing agency, um, when I did say the leech thing, I didn't. I didn't mean in terms of no. publishing. I just meant like within <laughs> within the confines, purely or strictly within the confines of Kelly, within within yeah, the yeah, novel itself. Yeah, yeah, just, just and, and it's funny because um, a lot of industry people have been like, "Is the agent based on anyone real?" <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> "Not surprised you no. get that question. What an unsettling, yeah. what an uncomfortable question to be like, <laughs> no." No, it's like it's I don't know any agents except yeah. for my own agent who's lovely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I did not base her on anyone. She was like a caricature of a low on the North Shore woman. <laughs> I really enjoyed writing her. <laughs> Victoria, the question I always like to end on is the crux of the show. And I think you know what it's going to be is particularly if you and your sort of situation and how, you know, you've, you've written two other novels that you mentioned, been trying to get this one shopped around for a while and had some issues with that. I want to know if there was a point in your writerly journey where you reached some form of a crossroads and you questioned whether you were going to continue. And if so, if you did indeed have some sort of period like that, if it was, if it was something brief or it was perhaps longer and what kind of enabled you to prevail over that sort of a um, this is an excellent question, and I have to tell you, every fucking day, I wonder why I keep doing this. As oh, a it's job. me too. Me too. It is like it is not a sustainable career in terms mm. of money, yep. and there are there are very few authors who actually can support themselves from this. Um, I have three children. I live in a tiny weatherboard house in the Blue Mountains, and. Um, the only way that I've financially been able to make it work for the past three years at least, because before that I was just on mat leave, <laughs> rolling mat leave with my kids, but for the last three years was because I was on a uni scholarship uh, to complete my doctorate and that was paying me to write a novel. And in that time I could carve some time out to work on burnt outs, edits and stuff. Um, honestly, at this point in my life, if, um, you know, if I don't... <laughs> make some money soon it's just gonna have to go back to being a hobby and maybe a book every few years because the Australian publishing industry is so tiny compared mm. to the rest of the world and um you know a lot of the time people can only afford to do it because they have a wealthy spouse supporting them um but the reason why I keep going every time I'm like why am I doing this I should get a you know quote unquote real job the reason why I keep going is because I have to. I yep. just have to keep writing. I can't stop. And if I don't write and if I'm not weaving some kind of world in my mind, I just get depressed. <laughs> and you really, it's, it's, there's nothing, you know, I've, I've got kids. I've, um, you know, they've all got a lot of sport on. Um, we have a lovely life. We've got the bush right here. But if I don't also have writing, then... I don't know what I'm doing. It's chaotic. So, yeah, <laughs> I need to get a real job, but also I need to keep doing this full time. <laughs> Tough one there and there is like the snake eating its tail, but I'm so glad you're doing that because, yeah, I can definitely relate in terms of questioning why the fuck I'm not doing this shit every single day, uh, but why? needing to as well. So. so many authors that I speak to are feeling the same way and they're published authors who are on multi-book deals and they're like, why do we do this? <laughs> 
we'll keep doing it though. We'll keep doing it. We'll keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. It is. When it's not suffering. But yeah. When it's when it's not pure suffering. <laughs> Look, Victoria, absolute pleasure talking to you on the show tonight. Thank you so much for talking to me on the Railway Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been wonderful. So everyone, there you have it. That was the conclusion to my discussion slash episode with Victoria Brookman discussing her debut published novel, Burn Out, uh, now available to the good folks at HarperCollins Australia. So yeah, huge thanks to Victoria Brookman for discussing me, her debut published novel, Burnt Out. Uh, always a pleasure to speak to particularly debut novelists. Um, well, I like. I mean, I love speaking to all writers of every stage of their career. It's a, a privilege and pleasure to do so. So yeah, absolute pleasure to talk to Victoria about her novel, Burnt Out. And yeah, so huge thanks to her. And while I'm in the thanking mood, as always, thank you so much for you, or to you, I should say, for listening to this particular episode of the Right Way Podcast Program. And you know, because you're an avid listener that's listened to many of them, many of the apps, uh, prolific listener, I'm going to say that you already know where I'm going to go with this next. Thank you so much for listening to to not only this particular episode of the White Web Podcast program, but also to all the ever what we like to call ever proliferating back catalogue there as well. Before those episodes that extend as far back as November 2020, my goodness, getting up to two years, the program's getting to its two-year birthday. I don't know if that makes it a, a toddler or, or what in the uh, human sort of simile there or metaphor. Or, no, I think it was a simile. But anyway, uh, yeah, getting up to two years with the program now. A lot of episodes. I think we're getting up to plus 70 episodes now. I forget how many guests that is. It's well over 50 though I think and yeah it's been an absolute wild ride Mr. Toad's wild ride roller coaster space mountain scooby-doo ride take whatever ride that you know and that's dear to your heart and that is the roller coaster ride that the right way podcast and myself as the host and producer of the right way podcast has been on with this show and its success so yes can't be done without you and everything which you've done with listening to the show giving me your support uh, it's greatly greatly appreciated it's never gone unseen or unnoticed so can't thank you enough for that yeah give a cheeky follow on Spotify or SoundCloud if that's where you listen to this on and yeah please do stay tuned we've got two more episodes of the show coming up for the, the year the end of the year that will mark the end of the year I'm not going to reveal who those guests are because I want to keep the suspense just like Willy Wonka says that whole thing about the suspense is killing me I hope it lasts forever or worse that effect I think I've paraphrased there a bit but yeah check out those next two episodes that are coming up in the coming weeks and then after that we are going to say goodbye to 2020 and then a short hiatus and then 2023 will come up with gusto albeit perhaps a slightly like this year was a slightly more reduced amount of guests as last year there'll be probably be more reduced amount of guests for next year as well but that is because I'm a busy little boy with my own sort of long form writing which I trust you won't begrudge me for and you'll be delighted with the results at least I hope so or at least somewhat interested in what I put uh, pen to paper in rapid succession and then present that to you at some stage in the future but for now thank you so much for listening to this episode and all others and I bid you a lovely evening